You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Putting it together with the Sundance Kids into mystery. Mm, mm. Everyone knows who the man could be. His name is Butch Cassidy. Boom, 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 And something, 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 something. Hey, Mark. Solve that mist. Hey, Mark, huh? dude. What? We have a show to do. Oh, oh I'm, oh, I'm sorry. We were talking about established properties going into animation from the last episode. And Butch Cassie and the Sundance Kids, that theme song just kind of crept into my head, which I think was like probably one of the best elements of that series. I just couldn't, I couldn't get out of my head, man. Well, well, get your head out of the 70s, dude. It's time to, it's time to suit up. Got it, got to clock in. All right. All right. I'm ready. I'm ready. From the author of the book by the same name, it's the best Saturdays of our lives podcast with Mark McCray. Hey everybody, welcome to the Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast, where we are going to continue our conversation about established live action properties going into animation. I'm Mark McRae, I'm your host, the awesome Dan Clink is also here. Thank you, thank you. And we're really excited to jump into the 80s. Uh, the 1980s, where there was a, a quantum leap in live action to animation in the right. industry. Yes, the 80s really represents an interesting time in the industry. And there are many that feel that out of the 60s, 70s, and 80s, yes. um, Saturday morning was at its peak. Yeah, in a lot of ways, I feel like I also peaked in the 1980s. <laughs> oh, that's funny. You know what it certainly yeah. peaked was the whole happy days craze. Oh, uh, my gosh. Right. And right. Yeah, <laughs> uh, what, what do we get on Saturday morning? Fonz and the Happy Days Gang, which featured the actual original voices in animated form. Henry Winkler and Ron Howard and Danny Most. They even roped in uh, Wolfman Jack. That was by uh, Hanna-Barbera. What character from that time, iconic character, would really lend itself to caricature, if not the Fonz? <laughs> right. Right? Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm really surprised that they got the original cast members to do the series. Right. Uh, because in the 70s, it was sort of hit or miss. Uh, there was a uh, My Favorite Martians cartoon, and the original actors, well, at least the lead actor, uh, declined to reprise his role in the series. And the I Dream a Genie cartoon, Barbara Eden was on board, and then all of a sudden she wasn't. Right. I also think during this time, there was sort of a cool factor to do it. Now, in the show, wasn't there also a, a time-traveling woman, a girl? Yes. Yeah, so there was a time-traveling character that the Fonz and the Happy Days gang was trying to help. <laughs> Her spaceship has malfunctioned. Right. And as a result... They all ended up leaving the 1950s timeline right. and traveling to other timelines with the hopes that eventually they would get back home. Right. Fonz, being the mechanic that he is, decides to help her fix it, mostly based on the fact that he has a huge ego or the character oh, has a huge ego. I mean, granted, granted, we know that if the Fonz has any superpowers it would be mechanics correct but the hubris the the presumption <laughs> that he could fix a 
time machine, <laughs> a freaking time machine is, is just galling, really. Yeah, and that's when, you know, the term uh, suspension of belief really comes in. First of all, I think kids were happy to see the Fonz as an animated character. Yeah, yeah. That's number one. Number two, the fact that a kid wouldn't even think that deeply into the fact that there's no freaking way that someone that is used to 1950s technology can fix technology from the future. Oh, so you're kind of sideways calling me out for calling out the Fonz. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> well, let's just move on then, Mark. Let's just move on. Uh, okay. Okay, here's something else. There were spinoffs. Weren't the Laverne and Shirley, Mark and Mindy? I know those are spinoffs of the live action show. Yeah, so Laverne and Shirley in the Army, which was based on an episode, a live action episode, and uh, they decided to use that as a premise uh, right. for a Saturday morning show. And the Mark and Mindy show, which to me of the three properties... I feel like Mork and Mindy sort of makes sense because of... Uh, it's most plausible to go animated. Right, yeah, right. Because, right. I mean, Mork and Mindy to me is like an updated version of the earlier series, My Favorite Martian. Right. The premise is the same. An earthling takes in this alien and, you know, comedy ensues. Okay. you ever Do you remember the, the Disney movie Treasure Planet? Vaguely. Vaguely, yeah. At best, I think that's what most people would say. Uh, it was a total, total dud for Disney. I swear, whoever wrote that probably had some drinks, maybe smoked a little this or that, and uh, I love that. it was a fan of Gilligan's Planet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, another show that uh, everyone signed on for. What um, the hell? Okay, was it that they were... Sh- so they were shipwrecked on a, on another planet? Right. So they managed to somehow build a rocket to get off the island and, and, and they, you know, and the rocket goes too far and takes them off of Earth and they get shipwrecked on another planet. That's when you start considering suicide, I think. The alternative (laughs) would be they got off the island, had a, a moment of civilization and then ended up on another planet. I mean, that would be one thing. I blame I blame the professor. That professor's got he's got to go. At the same time, he's like their last best hope at any right. real solution. Right. So now, wait a minute. Did Gilligan? Was it because of Gilligan's clumsiness that the rocket no, didn't work? No, not or, this time. It was straight up the professor, huh? Although that would have been a good premise. Well, I that, think at that you know. point they would have murdered Gilligan. <laughs> I mean, I it would have gone Lord of the Flies. <laughs> it would have had to have. Oh my gosh! Yeah. So now they're on a now they're now they're stranded on another planet. Right, right. And so the um, Gilligan's Island cartoon from earlier, from the 1970s, that ran on ABC, you know, was pretty successful and funny. And by the 1980s, I don't know, kids weren't really digging Gilligan's Planet as much. I mean, the show did okay ratings-wise, but there wasn't like a, a second set of new episodes that premiered in the second season, right. like, the, like the Gilligan's Island animated series from the 70s. So Yeah, yeah, um, Gilligan's, Gilligan's Planet. Uh, yeah, hey, hey sh- shocking news, everybody. It flopped. But uh, <laughs> now, the next couple of shows here are, are interesting. NBC now enjoying uh, the top of the pile in terms of Saturday morning. Yeah, parlayed finally. two of their primetime shows into Saturday morning shows with the Gary Coleman show and one of my personal favorites, uh, the Punky Brewster show. Or it's, oh, yeah. it's Punky Brewster. Oh my gosh. Right. There was, there was, so, what was the name of the alien? 
Hey, Punky. Uh, hey, Punky. Punky. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, uh, Dan, I can't tell you the name of the alien because I never watched that show. I'm sure it was good, but what is really amazing about the Punky Brewster cartoon is that it went into production so fast. You know, normally a TV series would have been on the air for a couple of years before an animated version showed up on Saturday morning. But I feel like it was maybe a year or two when the new Punky Brewster cartoon showed up. I mean, that was pretty fast. Alf, I think, might be a similar story there. Uh, well, Punky Brewster itself was cashing. It was almost like that trifecta of like Rainbow Bright and Cabbage Patch. Cindy Lopper for kids kind of thing, you know? Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, like Punky Brewster was just like one of those shows that did huge ratings when the show premiered. I mean, the network immediately knew that it was doing well. And that's probably why they greenlit the show so fast, because... Punky Brewster came out in 84, and this cartoon came out in 85. And yeah, right. I don't think that's ever been done before on television. Oh, really? So it looks like we have a first there. They had, yeah. then, then, you know what? They knew they had a hit before those first 13 episodes, before they even aired the show. They had to have mm-hmm. known that they had a hit. Or they yeah. were, yeah. Well, when you think about well, the turnaround time. Yeah. So if you look at the timeline, so uh, back in the day, when the Saturday morning shows premiered, within three weeks, the networks know if they have something good or something bad on right, their hands. Right. And the studios are already pitching for the following year as soon as they find out which shows are doing good and which shows are doing bad. So when Punky Brewster hit in the fall of 84, the networks saw that they had a hit on their hands and they were already talking to the cartoon people about doing shows for 1985. So someone probably suggested, hey, why are you here trying to pitch this other show I don't want? Yeah, right. <laughs> why don't you guys do a Punky Brewster cartoon? And the rest, as they say, is history. And then within a year, within a year. Yeah. So, Dan, you are like the Star Wars expert for sure. <laughs> and every time we talk about Star Wars, whether it's in person or in a podcast, I learned so much information about Star Wars that I didn't know before. Where where our interests collide would be Star Wars, droids, and uh, Ewoks, two Saturday morning cartoon shows. Right. That first showed up in 1985. Uh, droids went for one year with a primetime TV special that came out in 1986 that actually served as the series finale. But Ewoks ran for a whole two years <laughs> yeah. on Saturday morning. These shows, in terms of Star Wars memory, you know, the, the Star Wars Christmas special, I think, has way more like retro memory traction than, than these two Saturday morning cartoons. At this time, you know, Return of the Jedi had come and gone at, in the theaters, you know, that was 1983. Right. This is before the internet cable. At this time, it was becoming, you know, certainly more than a reruns dump. Yeah. But not necessarily, not, not financially viable on, on like Lucasfilm terms. Hmm. So, you know, the, the, I can see the need and desire to keep Star Wars going, to keep it in everybody's consciousness, to keep that money train a rolling. At the same time, not wanting to throw all the money that you would at a at a live action film Saturday morning. Yeah, there you go. 
you know, to your point, yeah, cable wasn't fully distributed and there wasn't a lot of uh, funding or budget for original content, especially in animation. So uh, the network was the only choice where a Star Wars animated franchise could, you know, premiere and, and hopefully do well. And, you know, ABC would have been like, hey, all the money in the world, what do you want? What, what do you want? You know? Yeah, because ABC. What can we do for you, Mr. Lucas? We love you, Mr. Lucas. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, out of a lot of these uh, established properties, these live action established properties that became animated, I feel like the Star Wars animated universe sort of makes sense. Oh, yeah. If right. I was an executive at ABC, I would have been, what, how did you say it? Yes, Mr. Lucas, what do you need? Uh, anything Mr. you want, Mr. Lucas. <laughs> we love you, Mr. Lucas. Yeah, right. Exactly. So, uh, as a clinically terminal Star Wars fan, you know, 1985 was the, the end of Star Wars. And these cartoons did nothing to help with that. Whereas one would think, you know, the executives at the time would have been like, you know, Star Wars is free money. Right, right. Now, in terms of film franchises that totally worked as cartoons, Ghostbusters, or should we say the real Ghostbusters? The real Ghostbusters, yes. That show was just totally, totally awesome. I loved it. It was funny. It captured the movie perfectly. The series wasn't dumbed down for kids. Uh, it was all of that. Even the toys took off uh, to this day. Some of them are uh, highly valued collectibles. Oh, I wish I had bought a toy. I wish I had bought, like, the car. That was my favorite one, the Ghostbusters car, where the uh, I think the action figures could actually fit into the car. Right. I believe there was a toy like that. But, you know, I buy toys all the time now. But when I was younger, I was like, well, you know, my kids aren't going to play with this. And what am I doing bringing a toy home? Oh, yeah, and right. Plus, I don't have any money either. <laughs> <laughs> so that was that. But uh, the real Ghostbusters also had uh, another show, a tw- uh, I guess, of... Uh, Maternal twin? <laughs> yeah. You know, we're going to do an entire episode about just this, I think. Mm-hmm. I think there's enough there to do an entire episode. Oh, my gosh. On Ghostbusters alone, and we're going to get to that. But just to touch on it quickly, 1975, there was a live action show called The Ghostbusters. And there's a whole thing with the studio having to license the name, da-da-da. But in order to cash in on, you know, the, the movie that we all know and love, Ghostbusters... Filmation owned the rights to the wacky, you know, like they've got a gorilla team member and they fight Draculas and junk, Ghostbusters, and decided to make a cartoon out of that. Piggyback. Anyway, yeah, it's it's almost like a chicken and the egg, and we'll get into that later. But just just so you know, we don't uh, the bottom of the video here. Everybody doesn't give us all their hate comments, or we don't blow up on Twitter for missing something. Yeah, no, we know, we know. So, just a little intel. So, when the when this phenomenon happened with the two Ghostbusters cartoons, the real Ghostbusters, uh, produced by Deke, and the Filmation Ghostbusters, um, I actually recall giving Lou Shima a phone call to ask him about, like, what is going on? How come, you know, why aren't people suing each other? And how come I'm not hearing about this? And I said to him, I said, do you know about the other Ghostbusters show? And, of course, he he knew about it. And I said, what do you think of Andy Hayward, who runs Deke Enterprises? And he goes, oh, I like and really respect Andy. And so, you know, I'm trying to gently kind of ask 
without pissing Lou Shimo off and saying, it's none of your damn business. Is that why you're calling? <laughs> right. Did you ever wonder why there are 24-hour kid networks? In my book, The Best Saturdays of Our Lives, I write about how Saturday morning became a competitive business and the proving ground for what would become the 24-hour kid network. My book covers the big bang of the 1960s explosion of high ratings to the early digital age of Saturday morning's last hurrah, the 1990s. You can purchase my book by going to thebestsaturdaysofourlives.com and I will ship you a signed copy. Fans of podcast, I am Rusted Robot. Rusted Robot is seven feet tall. Yes, I've heard. Episodes in the hundreds with pop culture reviews and geek style news. I am Rusted Robot Podcast. You have come here for geek. Will you listen? Listen for free. No, we will run and we will live. Aye, run and you'll live and dying in your beds many years from now. Would you be willing to trade all those days and come back here for just one more listen? They may take our lives, but they'll never take our Rusted Robot Podcast. Hey, Punky. (laughs) (laughs) The most annoying voice on Saturday morning. Oh, my God. I don't know if I could say anything else other than, Hey, Punky. (laughs) Look out. (laughs) I'm like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, you know, you talk about annoying sidekicks. You know, I'll take Orko from He-Man any day over that dude. Yeah, you know. Punky Brewster. Punky Brewster was, I think, was enough to carry the show. (laughs) Yeah, why why they needed that guy. Who knows? Because uh, there was probably a network executive that said, put a sidekick in for the kids to like. Oh, there you go. It's almost mandatory. You know? Right. What do you sell along with the punky doll? You know? (laughs) Exactly. Merchandising. Speaking of merchandising. Yes. I'm not. Anyway. I know. Star Wars, man. Star Wars oh comes to Saturday morning. <laughs> yeah. Ewoks. Wow. Droids. Yeah. This was one of the most exciting and perhaps disappointing times in my life when it comes to Saturday morning cartoons. They weren't very good shows. They totally did not tap in to to that Star okay, Wars Okay, so here's the thing. Here's what we don't know. We don't know what type of conversations took place behind the scenes. And a lot of times, you know, a network's standards and practices, some networks even had consultants to look over the storylines before they got produced. This was a time of a lot of censorship. And so, to be fair, maybe the original concept of these two Star Wars animated series could have been more faithful to the actual movies and source material, but who knows what type of network interference went into crafting these shows for the Saturday morning audience or what an adult thinks a Saturday morning seven or eight year old will be able to understand from the Star Wars cartoon. You know, that's that's a fair point. I've argued that if the PG-13 rating had not uh, had existed when the original trilogy came out, that all three of those films would have are would easily be PG-13 movies. Oh, oh, for sure. So definitely. And, you know, if you look at the two Ewoks live action specials they did around this time, those are uh, fairly violent and, and relatively dark, especially the second one where they kill off the parents and the older brother right off the bat. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wilford Brimley, the oatmeal guy, shows up. Uh, diabetes. And, <laughs> and there's all, it's, it's called the Battle for Endor. And there's all kinds of carnage. It's, uh, 
it's it's fun to look at. Yeah. So okay. At the same time, yes. When you think about e- marketability, when you think about merchandising, which was very much, which is for an entire other podcast, in terms of where George Lucas was with uh, Star Wars in mind. But, but the toys, toys, Ewoks. The Ewoks were. When you look at uh, okay, just to do a, a little bit of a dive into into toys real quick. It won't be the, quick. The, <laughs> no. <laughs> There's a whole lot of going back to the 80s, Return of the Jedi. There are so many Ewok figures. It was a financial decision. And you're right, a creative decision. Now that I'm thinking about it, I really need to blame myself for my expectations on Ewoks and droids. How, what am I, what, what the, what the hell should I expect? I don't you know? know. I mean, if you're a fan, if you're a kid and you're a fan of Star Wars, you're going to expect, you know, further adventures of what you've seen on the screen. And if that's not there, then you're going to be disappointed. It's the same as reading a comic book that you're familiar with. You know, I, I read the Fantastic Four comic book, but, you know, when freaking Herbie the Robot shows up in the cartoon, I'm like, what, what the <laughs> heck? Yeah. You know, I'm just yeah. like, okay, what is this crap? Where's the human okay, torch? And and I don't I'm I'm a kid. I can't understand that the rights have been sold to somebody who's going to make a human torch movie or whatever was going on. You know, I'm like, I want to see the real Fantastic Four. And you know what? If you can't give me the real Fantastic Four, don't even make the cartoon. Thank you. Well then thank you. Yeah, no, I felt swindled. And <laughs> I would watch, I would tune in every single week right. without fail and every week i was let down or i was thinking oh next week oh next week you know there's yeah. one episode in droids where boba fett shows up and i swear to god it felt like my birthday right you know they made toys for these shows and now they are some of the most sought after by collectors ironically enough <laughs> to get a droids or you know something on card ewoks but even the ship designs right. by and large you know they could have you think they could have you know i mean they repackaged the a-wing no or maybe that was an original to- whatever I mean, the toys themselves weren't even necessarily, weren't stylistically compatible by and large with the existing, the hundred (laughs) plus action figures that had come before. It it felt jarring to see Star Wars go in that direction. Yeah, yeah. Um, Well, you know, and the whole business about the toys being collector items, I mean, you know, it's like one of those things I think about animation cells from the 30s and 40s that are like worth thousands of dollars but no one in the 1930s and 40s knew that that animation cells would actually be worth money in the future and i kind of feel the same way about the star wars toys that were based on this series i mean they were based on the series right oh yeah absolutely (laughs) (laughs) yes yes they were that's what made them uh you know not not look like Star Wars toys. Right. Yeah. So yeah. the whole toy collector thing is just kind of like an interesting ancillary part of the story that just happened because, you know, who knew that there would be toy conventions and toy collectors, you know? And a lot of that stuff really honestly started from the 1980s iconic TV series. I mean, there have always been toy collectors, but I feel like the 1980s really took toy collection to the next level. Oh my gosh, yeah. And that, everybody, will be my uh, spin-off podcast. This is a backdoor pilot for uh, the most questionable purchases of our lives <laughs> podcast. <laughs> 
the next evolutionary leap in the Thunderverse has arrived. The Ring of Thunder is a whole week's wrestling and a half hour. What? The Ring of Thunder is a whole week's wrestling and a half hour. What? Every show. What? 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 You come up around here wetting in sexy Thor's yard like he's anything but the hammer swinging, burrito eating, mic blazing, marking out but never tapping out Lord of Thunder, like you would do anything but sit down, open your ears, and take in the Ring of Thunder wherever you find your podcasts like you would find any other podcast in the Thunderverse or the ESO Network. You have 30 seconds to describe Thunder Talk. It's pop culture. With a twist. It's music. LBGTQ+. And comedy. Well, dark comedy. It's nerd junk. It's comic books. Video games. Conventions. Yeah, nerd junk. And social commentary. It's woke, yo. Yeah, and nerd junk. Woke nerd junk. Thunder Talk is all over the place. Every place you want to be. Thunder Talk is a proud member of the ESO Network. Find us at thundertalk.org and download us on all podcast platforms. Forms. You didn't think we were going to cram the, all of the 80s into one episode, did you, people? Definitely not. I mean, there are just too many freaking 1980s established properties into animation shows for that to happen. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. We, uh, yeah, the whole second half of this of, of the of the saga that has become live action to animation, uh, ep- episode five. We'll be jumping into uh, Alf. We're going to dive into the '90s. We're also going to get into a lot of well, maybe inappropriate. Uh, we're talking about Chuck Norris. Talk about Rambo. Uh, <laughs> the A Team got in on the action. Yeah, so tune in yeah. to episode five, and we'll. Uh, I think I think we should be able to wrap this topic by then. We'll hopefully be able to, unless we go down a rabbit hole when we start talking about the 1990 uh, Saturday morning oh, yeah, shows right. of this particular topic. Yeah, yeah, no, you, yeah, right. Remember, remember episode five, everybody. This was episode five. No, this is episode four. <laughs> this episode, this episode four. You know, I feel like, I feel like. <laughs> Like we're lost in the woods. Um, oh, yeah, I know. We just can't get through this episode, right? But there's yeah, just right. so much information. I mean, this was an important ratings winner genre back in the day. You don't really see it too much nowadays. But the fact that we can't even get through. And we're not even talking about every every show either. Yeah, this, started out, <laughs> yeah, this started out as a two to three episode idea, everybody, just so you know. So, you know. Yeah, so this is a surprise, but I guess it's a, a good surprise in a way because uh, a lot of these animated programs are not really seen in very high regard, but obviously kids loved these caricatured spinoffs of their favorite primetime series. All these shows actually prove it, you know, some good, some not so great, but the fact that there was a hunger for these shows and it's taken us five episodes to talk about it, <laughs> it lets you know how popular our programs like these were. Yeah. So for the best Saturday night, for the best Saturdays of our lives podcast, I'm Dan Klink from Mark McRae. We'll see you next time. The Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast is a co-production of the Best Saturdays of Our Lives studios and the Weirdos Workshop. To get a personalized signed copy of the Best Saturdays of Our Lives book, go to thebestsaturdaysofourlives.com. This is Mark McRae signing off. This is a 
This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.